Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading this morning is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. And this can be found on page 1179 in the Church Bibles. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Johnny, thank you so much for your welcome and the invitation here. I I could just sense you were enjoying the opportunity to describe me as the old vicar. But it's great to be here. It's great to be back. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, Let me just pray before we look at this passage in Philippians. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your uh, word. Thank you for its uh, radical twists and turns. May uh, it speak to us this morning and may we live with it in the days ahead. For your name's sake. Amen. Look, I guess most of us will have seen, if we haven't experienced uh, uh, the great sort of hot dog disaster, you know, you, you go up to the trailer uh, and they give you the, the bun and it's got the sausage and the onion in it and you add a bit of mustard and ketchup uh, and uh, then you tuck in, you know, your teeth sink into the sausage, you squeeze the bread and the ketchup just squirts everywhere. Now, there is no evidence that I'm aware of that the Apostle Paul ever ate a hot dog. 
there is every evidence that he knew what it was like when people find themselves like the ketchup trying to live in the squeeze. And uh, that's really the setting for our passage, living in the squeeze. Now, that's the setting for that opening paragraph, verses 1 to 4. I mean, let me explain. Chapter 1 showed that Paul was coming under pressure. He was battling the squeeze put on his life. He's under house arrest. Jealous rivals are trying to take advantage. There's a possible death sentence hanging over him. And he knows that that kind of persecution is heading the Philippians' way too. Believing is going to mean suffering for them as well. So he ends chapter 1 by saying, verse 29, uh, it's been granted you on behalf of Christ, you know, as if this is some thrilling great Christmas present, uh, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So the big question in his mind is, how are these Philippian Christians, how is this young church uh, going to handle life when the squeeze comes on? That's how he ends chapter 1. The final paragraph begins back in verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves. It's plural. It's how we respond together. And it looks like this, he says at the end of that verse 27, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That's how you live in the squeeze. That's how you live worthy of the gospel, striving together as one in the faith of the gospel. Because Paul knows when the squeeze comes on, what we do best is divide. Uh, you know, some of us disappear altogether, like the ketchup. Most of us just disagree. You're trigger happy and square up. I'm a wimp and run away. Uh, you cause waves, get hurt, and I start explaining it away. You know, someone says, isn't that your founding pastor they've just jailed? Well, you can imagine one of the Philippians saying, yes, he was that sort of character, but we've, we've come a long way since then. Now, Paul writes to hold the church together. Paul writes to remind them how to live in the squeeze. And that's where our chapter 2 picks it up. Therefore, because that's how we're going to have to live with all kinds of squeeze on our faith. Therefore, if you have any encouragement in Christ, and you have, that's really what the sentence means. If there's any comfort from his love, and you have, if you have any common sharing in the spirit, and you have, remember your identity. It's not that you're brash and you're a wimp, or you're a hawk and you're a dove. It's that you're brothers and sisters in Christ. Then, verse 2, make my joy complete. Well, how do you satisfy the apostle? Well, well here's how. By being like-minded. By having the same love. Being one in spirit, of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish conceit. Don't try all the time to steal a march on someone else or, or put them down. If you want to look at the reverse, you watch politicians trying to pretend they're team players. And it's hopeless. Rather, verse 3, in humility, value others above yourselves. 
And this value others above yourselves, it's not the, the sort of fictional thing we sometimes go in for where we pretend that, you know, you're better at something than, than, than me when you're not. Or that uh, British false modesty. You know, you're, you're, someone says, well, let's have a game of tennis together, and I think, yeah, we'll do that, but just let me just check what I'm letting myself in for, you know, uh, how good are you? The person who says, oh, I'm great at it, uh, you don't have to worry too much about them, they're probably just proud. Uh, the one you have to watch is the one who says, well, I'm not bad. They're the British under-16 champion. <laughs> well, you know, we sort of do it that way around, don't we? There's none of that here. What he means by valuing others above yourselves is there in verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I put your interests ahead of mine. It doesn't make me a doormat. Paul's speaking of a choice to be made, a mindset to adopt. It's gospel of Christ's conduct. Here's how you live in the squeeze. That's the setting they had to live in and so do we increasingly. The setting, living in the squeeze. And back of it all, you find, as, as you explore this chapter, is this strange idea, this principle which holds us together, uh, that the way to up is down. That, if you like, is the saying. The, the, the way to up is down. It's there in verses 5 to 11. It's the Savior's mindset. The way to up is down. Get under Jesus' skin, because he's the key to the story. This is uh, the key to his story. Get into Jesus' head, and that's the saying he lives out. The way to up is down. Verse 6. Who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You know, I, I don't know what it would look like for you to be able to live out your life's dream. There's probably quite a range of them in this room this morning. Or for those of us who are sort of at the other end of life, uh, you know, our retirement dream. I'm a fool, it's got it all, hasn't it? Sun, villa, golf, cruise, slippers, uh, I don't know. We're, we're a pretty entitled generation. But you look at Jesus and here is someone who's entitled to be entitled. And yet he'll give it all up for the sake of others. Because verse 7, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now being human may not sound like nothing to us, but when you started as God and you chose to become a nobody, to be in nature God and then head to be made in human likeness, that is a big step down. I don't know whether you uh, uh, ever saw, the, they used to run a little television series called uh, Undercover uh, Boss. And what they would do is they'd get an owner of a business and they'd put him or her on the ground floor for a week. I remember watching one of them where there was a sort of refuse company owner who went on the bin lorry for a week and it opened his eyes to all kinds of things um, in his business. Well, Jesus doesn't do it for a week. It's for a lifetime. Actually, it's for eternity even. 
And he didn't stop there at just being on the ground floor uh, uh, as one of the workers. No, verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Well, there's a line full of the shame, the stigma, the disgrace of such a death. So awful no Roman would talk of it. And Jesus would see it as a, a Jews would see it as a God-accursed end, even death on a cross. Yet this humiliation self-inflicted. He made himself nothing. He humbled himself. I mean, some people are humbled, aren't they? Sometimes very publicly. But Jesus humbled himself. It's not that his hand was forced. This is the move that saved us, that death on the cross. You see, some people talk as if uh, Jesus was kind of the good cop, rescuing us from the angry father, the bad cop. Well, his love for us, his valuing of our interests above his own, took him to the cross most certainly. But it's not what it says here. Do you notice in verse 8? It speaks of his obedience. Obedience to the Father. Father and Son are, are in this together. This is their rescue, not just his. They share the same mindset. Father gave his Son. Son gave his life for our great rescue. Jesus willingly valued the Father's wishes, his great plan above his own safety, his own ease, his own comfort, and the Christian says, that's my rescuer. That's my Christ. That's my God. Wonder at him. Have you found any cause, anyone else, as worth giving your life to as this Jesus? And you see, as you look at verses 9 to 11, you begin to understand why the way to up is down. Because God is excited by this mindset. Therefore, verse 9 says, after he's become obedient to death, even death on a cross, therefore, yeah, yeah, what would God do for a wreck of a man executed in shame to rescue others he valued above his own interests? Well, here's the answer. Give him the highest honor, verse 9. Give him the greatest name, verse 10. Make him the only Lord, verse 11. That's our God. This is his mindset, not to lord it, to dominate, to oppress. No, no, the way to up is down. The more I think on it, the more it blows me away that he should care like that, that he should notice people like that. That's why the way to up is down. The setting, living in the squeeze. The saying, the, the way to up is down. What's perhaps even more breathtaking when it sinks in is that the apostle shines the light on this extraordinary self-giving mindset of Jesus's and says it must not stay with Jesus. You see, verse 5 said, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. His saying needs to be our saying. Value others above yourselves. The way to up is down. It's not just a Jesus way of thinking and living. It needs to be a disciple's mindset too. Yours and mine. 
And it won't just happen. We'll have to work at it. Have to build it into our schedule, so to speak. We don't want to just drift there. There are other voices that will speak into our heads and make sure it doesn't happen unless it's intentionally scheduled in the way I live. You see, verses 12 to 18 is really the schedule of the disciples' workout. The punchline to that extraordinary description of Jesus comes in verse 12. Paul turns from Jesus to the Philippian disciples and he says, verse 12, continue to work out your salvation. And not work for your salvation. Uh, That's uh, Jesus' work that saves us. Uh, But live it out. See, what he's won for us, the rescued life, should be a transformed life, should be a Jesus mindset life. Work out your salvation. Not just a call for me to live my life as a Christian disciple in response to all that Jesus has done for me, but a call for us to do so together. And do it with fear and trembling. I don't think it's got anything to do with terror, uh, but we use the phrase, and it's really great care. If you're not sometimes found yourself, you're carrying something, and you realize it's very precious, you handle it with fear and trembling. Um, great care. Well, we should do that with our discipleship. I think too often I realize I'm just slapdash about my discipleship. Uh, and we do it together you helping me to take following Jesus seriously and vice versa his call to them and to us is to live in such a way that well verse 15 you shine like stars in the sky but before we just sort of think that's a nice, lovely, sort of hazy future, the Apostle knows Christian discipleship is never lived out in a world where everyone is nice and kind and tolerant. And he wants his readers, he wants us to get real. He's writing from jail, he's imprisoned for his faith, he's losing his freedom for Christ, he's writing to those about to face something similar with persecution coming over the horizon rapidly towards them and he uses a phrase, verse 15, a warped and crooked generation that Old Testament prophets use speaking of God's people. It's a phrase to warn us this can be the setting for our discipleship within the church life as well as outside it. The squeeze can come on there too. And the battles start young. Uh, I have a friend who spent a lot of time working in uh, university uh, Christian unions in this country, but he speaks of how hostile secular society can be to the Christian faith, and he thinks it's even tougher for the Christian teenager at school. He said this, Often Christianity is variously ignored or attacked in lessons and the secular establishment now regards biblical sexual ethics to be regressive and dangerous. So how do Christians cope? And he thinks it's because uh, too often they live in two different watertight compartments. The Christian compartment for home and church, but at school they inhabit the same secular space as everyone else. Well, 
I missed that squeeze by not getting converted till I was at university. But uh, there is no hiding place offered by the apostle here, no locking ourselves away as, as some remnant or sect, no two watertight compartments. See, look closely at the call of verse 15. It says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, all mixed up in there among them as you hold firmly to the word of life that needs to keep shaping our lifestyle among them. The way to up is down. What does that look like for a disciple now? Well, here's a couple of examples. I came across a, a couple who were small group leaders uh, in, in London. They, they spent six hours one day listening to and helping a needy member of their group. In a cash-rich, time-poor uh, community, which was true for them and is sort of often true in the Fullwood-type area as well, isn't it? Uh, that is both very impressive and very attractive. If I've got to live life in the squeeze, I want them as my small group leader. Or... Um, what about this? Next year, uh, the uh, Olympic Games are, are held in Paris. A uh, hundred years back, 1924, uh, that was when uh, uh, the Olympic Games were previously held in Paris. And Eric Little won his gold medal. Eric Little, you may remember, was the Scottish. He was a Scottish rugby international, uh, but he was also uh, an athlete. His story was told in Chariots of Fire, uh, if you go back far enough to remember that film. Uh, actually, the, the film ends with him really winning his gold medal in Paris, uh, but after that he became uh, a, a Christian missionary in China. Um, and when the World War broke out and the Japanese invaded China, China they put him in an internment camp, a uh, civilian internment camp, uh, and he died there in 1945. Actually, just a few months before he died, he was uh, listed amongst a, a prisoner exchange they were going to make, and he could have come home, but he gave up his place to a pregnant woman. Um, I knew someone who was in the same internment camp and told me stories of Little there, which chimed in exactly with uh, uh, how this person I came across described him. He said this, Little took extra turns at pumping water. He cleaned the uh, loos, he chopped wood, uh, took that fuel to the elderly, swept floors, took away garbage, carted sacks and food supplies, helped out in the kitchen, played chess to stoke the competitive spirit of those who seemed resigned to giving up as prisoners. Isn't that an extraordinary way of thinking? I'd, uh, you know, my competitive spirit would just mean I'd have to win. Um, but no, he's, he's wanting to stir someone else's competitive spirit. He did numerous odd jobs, shifting furniture, hanging washing lines, completing fiddly repairs. He put up a row of shelves for one of the prostitutes, and she said afterwards that Little was the only man there to have come into her room without demanding favors. Very striking, isn't it? Very striking. Shine like stars. Well, he did by doing little ordinary things for others. Shine like stars, great picture 
hundreds of stars shining all round Sheffield as you go home, go to work. There'll be thicker clusters in some places and rather isolated ones in others. But that, that's his picture. Uh, in the church I'm now part of in, in, in Cheltenham, the other week we had a baptism service. We had 11 people baptized. It was a thrilling service. They, they were from uh, various different nationalities and backgrounds. One guy, Kevin, uh, who uh, must be sort of 40s, you know, got a young family and everything. And uh, he, he told, they all told something of their story. He told his story, and it's obvious he'd had two or three really bad experiences of church life. But he said he'd come here and he'd discovered a, a real love and warmth and welcome. And uh, his punchline at the end of his story said, thank you for being a, a, a church I want to be a part of. It's a great picture, isn't it, when those stars are shining. Uh, uh, there's something attractive about it. I want to be a part of. So here we are, the, the setting, living in the squeeze. And we can't avoid it. It's coming bit by bit in this country. And uh, it'll be a squeeze from secular society and a squeeze within denominational uh, uh, issues. Uh, we can't avoid it. Every time you see a hot dog, it's a reminder to you. You've got to live in the squeeze. But we can stand firm together. Brothers and sisters in Christ. The saying, the way to up is down. And Jesus lived it and calls us to follow in his steps. The way to up is down. And the schedule, the, the disciples work out. Intentionally valuing others above myself. You know, it's a great prayer to pray uh, every day, really. Um, but particularly on a Sunday when we're gathered here, uh, I often, if there's a moment of quiet at the end of the service, the, the prayer I'm praying is, Lord, um, who can I serve today? Show me someone I can serve today. Uh, the the follow-up prayer, which you sometimes have to pray before and certainly uh, often after you get an answer to who shall I serve today, is, Lord, make me willing to serve others today. Because the answer of who I should serve is either the awkward person or it's an awkward time for me to do it. So, Lord, make me willing to serve others today. We won't wait for the end of the service. We'll just have a moment of quiet now. Why don't we do that? And you pray that you'd be someone who serves others and puts them and their interests above yours.